0: For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote vs. the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC.
2: This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
1: It is Tuesday, October 10th. I always feel a little bad when I'm paying extra for something that I know used to be available to everyone. at the Same price. Like those theme park fast passes to cut the lines or the concert ticket pre-sales that are only for certain credit card holders. My nephew had his birthday party last weekend at Medieval Times, where I discovered there's a VIP upgrade, got us closer to the fake jousting, and first access to all that inedible food. The experience economy today reminds me of the scene in Jerry Maguire, The Plane, where Renee Zellweger looks from her scrunched seat and coach at Tom Cruise sitting in first class. It used to be a better meal, she tells her kid. Now it's a better life. That class system is coming to the streaming services. I got the email from Disney Plus, starting this week, my annual subscription for the ad-free service is going from 80 bucks a year to 140 bucks. It's a massive increase, and it's actually a discount from the monthly price. Over the past year, the cost of ad-free streaming services is up about 25% in total, according to the Wall Street Journal. They also reported that Netflix is planning to raise prices again after the actor strike ends. Not for anything extra, mind you. Just the same content pipeline. Netflix is currently $15.50 for no ads, and that's not the most expensive. Hulu is $18 a month, then Max is $16, Disney Plus at $14, Peacock, Paramount Plus, and Prime Video are all $12. Prime Video obviously comes with Prime. And Apple TV Plus is $7. It's considered cheap. We know why this is happening. Streamers have been underpriced to gain subscribers, and that's over now. They're all under pressure to increase their profits. These higher prices are designed to push people into the advertising tiers, which actually generate more revenue per user than the ad-free tier. They're hoping the big crackdown on password sharing will do the same, but that's a big question so far. Ad-free streaming, which was once for everyone for a pretty low price, is now going to be for a smaller group of people who can and will pay a lot for it. Everyone else will take the annoying ads and pay just 7 bucks for Netflix, about the same for the others, class system. So how high will these prices go? That's the question today. We're going to break it down with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. The streaming price hikes, how the business is evolving, and what should a streaming service cost? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. Welcome back, Lucas. Thanks for having me. We're not going to talk about what happened
3: last night, but I, I still need to send out a distress signal for, for all the Audre fans out there.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. I definitely was not there last night. I definitely did not watch. I definitely did not lose my car in the parking lot because I was so distraught after the game. So we're moving on. Let's talk about streaming, another depressing subject. It's interesting what's happening and why it's happening now. I mean, obviously, we've known for a while now since the great Netflix correction that the focus on profitability at these companies is going to inevitably lead to higher prices for streaming services. And lo and behold, here we are. Prices are up 25%, according to the journal, in the past year. And they're about to go up more when Netflix moves its price point. Everyone seems to follow that. So why is this happening? And is this the inevitable push to a two-tiered system where the haves are going to get streaming with no ads and just pay through the nose for it, and the have nots or have less people are going to be stuck with the ad tier services and that's the only price point that's going to make sense for the vast majority of streaming customers
3: you say stuck, but there are a lot of people who seem perfectly content to pay less and sit through ads because they're used to it and TV's oh, always it's fine it's just
1: TV I mean yeah but the point is, five years ago, we got all this stuff for the low price and there were no ads. It was a great service, great product. And now that's not the case. So I think that's the key, like
3: stepping back to what happened five or 10 years ago is where this all begins. Because yes, we can talk about the short term and the focus on profits and the fact that these companies you know, need to please Wall Street. But video streaming, like every other online sort of media creation took a product that people were dissatisfied with or was too expensive. So in music, music it was CDs. In film and TV, it was cable. And they gave you something that offered basically everything you could get on cable for way, way, way less money. You know, Netflix was like eight, nine bucks a month. And you could access not everything, but basically as much as you could. Enough. And... It was inevitable that that could not last unless you want the business to basically go away, right? Like music eventually had to figure out a different business model that has worked for them with music streaming. And film and TV is in the process of trying to figure out what that is. Because I look at it and look, as a consumer, do I like that the prices for all these things are going up? No. But if you really thought about it, you could pick like two of those services, Netflix and Hulu, Netflix and Amazon, whatever it is, and approximate everything other
1: than news and sports on cable. But this stratification is what I'm interested in because I think the key point, the big bang of the next 10 to 15 years in streaming was the moment that Netflix and the others realized they could make more money off of a customer who takes ads and pays a lower price than they can off of the customers they have, which are mostly people who are paying a higher price for no ads. Because remember a year ago, we were talking about that as a question. Uh, Okay, Netflix was scrambling to launch an ad tier because their stock price had hit a bump. And we said, okay, great, do it. But is this going to be additive to the business? And I think the answer to that pretty clearly is yes. So let's play this out. How far does this go? Are these services now primarily advertising vehicles with a subscription tier with no ads that is going to essentially be a luxury premier VIP box system?
3: Well, two things. One, Hulu already knew that. I mean, I know it was new for a lot of these other places, but Hulu has known this for years. The other is, I think it depends on the service. I mean, Netflix, for all of the fuss around its advertising tier, Advertising tier makes up like one or 2% of its customer base
1: now after six months in existence or eight months or whatever. But it's I mean, it's obviously it's going to grow, 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 because look at the price point it's half as expensive. And Netflix, you know, is a mass product, you do the math on the number of people that want to pay 1550 and the number of people that want to pay eight. And it's pretty simple. Seven, sorry
3: so far there hasn't been a ton of switching down maybe there will be in in the next year or two you know if all of a sudden netflix instead of being fifteen forty nine, i think is the main price that it's 20 dollars. could you see more people possibly it's the the disney's and amazon's who are more going the direction that you're talking about where they're just gonna have as many people as possible do the ad tier and you really have to pay more for the other one
1: but that's a that's a Function, I think of satisfaction, of customer satisfaction, right? If you are satisfied with the product and find it valuable, you are going to keep the status quo. When I got the email from Disney Plus this week saying that my price of subscription is going from essentially 80 bucks a year to $140 a year, that's a question for me. And I'm in this business. I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I, my kid loves the Disney stuff, but like, that's an internal debate. And I imagine tons of Disney plus customers are going to get sticker shock by that and move down. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe they know something we don't. I don't know. That approach was
3: definitely not customer friendly. It was business first, (laughs) you know, to basically say, oh, you know, that thing you're getting and you like, maybe you don't love it, but you really like it. It's now 50% more expensive unless you want to watch ads.
1: It's potentially not scale friendly either. I mean, they are hoping people move down into the ad tier and stay within the ecosystem. But I'm sure there's modeling that shows that a certain number of people are just going to be like, F you, Disney Plus isn't that great. So you feel like the lesser services or the second tier services are the ones that are going to be vulnerable in this new scenario? It depends on how much they
3: raise their prices, I guess but i would look at churn which is sort of the percentage of people who are canceling if all the services are doing the same thing those that have more people canceling already would seem most vulnerable to if the prices go up even more right and unless there's some threshold netflix disney plus hulu all have pretty low churn amazon is microscopic i believe because of prime like those services can probably get away with raising prices with relative impunity Hasn't Netflix's
1: churn increased, though?
3: Netflix's churn has gone up with all the new competition. It is Mm -hmm. still low by industry averages.
1: And that demand metric that Parrot puts out, the Netflix demand is lower than it once was.
3: Yeah, that's, I think, again, largely, that's measuring sort of demand among streaming originals, not demand among, like, the whole TV ecosystem. Doesn't account for suits. I think it's some, I think that the the viewership like the the Nielsen gauge one I tend to see is a little more reliable for what people are watching or interested in because if you look at that Netflix's share of total, to, total TV viewing is growing it's not growing as quickly as some of the other services but it is growing more quickly than say Disney Plus which is not great for Disney. So yeah, I mean it's hard to know who's the who are the winners and losers and all this, but I would imagine that if you're Peacock, if you're Paramount Plus, if you're Max, and you're a little bit less essential than some of the other ones, then you're a little more vulnerable.
1: But you also or you're not- moving them to ads. I mean, listen, Paramount yeah. Plus is CBS, which is very good at selling ads. So maybe that's what you ultimately want out of that that customer is to move them into essentially a new version of cable television or broadcast television, where you're just uh, monetizing them. Via ads, And ultimately here, I mean, this is the bigger picture, and we're already starting to see this, is that the distributors want to include the ad-supported tiers of these streaming services in their overall bundle. And that's the next frontier here. We're already seeing it with the Charter Disney standoff, where Charter, which owns Spectrum, got the right to include the ad tier of Disney+. Plus In some of its cable packages, which is a big deal because these services have been sold separately and outside the cable bundle. And if we are now in a world where these ad supported tiers could potentially be included in these traditional bundles, that's going to first give them potentially a lot more customers and also change the economics here.
3: Yeah, well, the economics will be for the worse, but it does give them more customers. They're, they're sort of accepting Well, but that,
1: that's the trade-off they're willing to make. Yeah, they're accepting that if
3: they can get a bundle that maybe reduces churn and or increases the number of new people who are paying for it, it is worth it because you're not going to get those customers without
1: the bundle. And they are forcing your hand. They are saying, listen, guys, if you're going to shift all your content to your streaming service, and away from this bundle that we pay you billions of dollars to carry your cha- your channels in. Like, we want access to that. You don't have to give us the premium tier with no ads, but give us the ad tier. And that argument, at least, you know, we don't know the specifics, but at least in general, that argument was effective in the charter negotiation. Yeah, well, we know some of the specifics. We know that
3: charter is paying Disney some wholesale rate that is likely a little below the... 699, 799, 899, whatever it is now. And and that Disney will get paid for customers who sign up
1: for it and, and likely share some of that with Charter. Right. The sharing is the key part because they don't share when they sell you your Disney Plus subscription outside the bundle.
3: Right. But the one outlier to all of this, obviously, or the couple of the outliers are sort of the tech companies, right? Like because they don't have cable networks, Netflix, mm-hmm. Amazon, Apple are not gonna get bundled with these different pay TV offerings unless they choose to. Apple and Amazon have tried to create their own bundles where they sell sort of channels on top of their main one, and Netflix is the real outlier there where it's like the one thing that doesn't get bundled with everything else and we all love to debate when it will. I mean, why would it? Only if they really wanted to
1: reduce churn. And and I think that those two platforms will need to establish themselves as the gatekeepers where if you want to achieve or maintain your scale, you have to go through Amazon or Apple as, you know, selling your channel. I mean, that was the whole HBO Max, Max problem as they pulled their channel off Amazon under the previous regime. And then they realized, hey, we actually like that. We, you know, we're going to reach our customers any way we can. And if it's through Amazon, we're happy to do that. And they put them back. And I know those two companies would very much like to be the gatekeepers here, you know, and Netflix just doesn't have any reason to do that. Or yeah, it would be if the services
3: offer them something that they... So if someone gave me a hypothetical that I thought was kind of interesting where what if YouTube TV went to Netflix and was like, okay, we'll pay you... Your ad tier is $7 a month. We'll pay you $10 a month to include your ad-supported tier in a YouTube TV package or in some new streaming bundle that we're going to offer. Netflix would have
1: to consider it. Sure. But why would they do that? Is YouTube TV that desperate for growth that they need to overpay to include Netflix. I mean, I guess you could argue that Google has more money than they need. You know, it, it would be a long-term scale play and money's no object. Yeah, you've sort
3: of talked yourself into it. I wouldn't use the word desperate, but they just spent <laughs> yeah. a, a fortune on Sunday ticket. And it's, I don't know if that deal pencils yeah, out Yeah, do we long. have any
1: numbers on that?
3: I don't think they have publicly announced any, no. I will, hmm. I will ask the CEO of YouTube about that
1: in two days. Oh, good. Yeah, please, on my behalf.
2: This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S, Ian.com at Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.
1: The overpaying thing is, relevant for those three companies, Amazon, Apple, and Google, just because, yeah, they can do that to essentially buy themselves the scale or the long-term gatekeeper status that they want. And maybe they'll do that. Well, We don't know. I mean, Netflix has to be thinking about that. I mean, they are vulnerable in that sense in that they are not attached to a, a major tech company that makes untold billions of dollars off of other services. I thought it was interesting. There was a report out of
3: the UK today because some of these companies have to report their financials in places. Netflix now generates almost $2 billion in sales in the UK and its profits are like $40
1: million. Hmm. That's, not, that's not a lot. At least it's profits. That's more than <laughs> Spotify. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's not a lot because they're paying so much to you know make that $40 million. And the thing is that Disney is the interesting one because as a parent, It's just a different value calculus. You don't see it as a luxury. You see it as a necessity (laughs) For, for a certain number of years when you have children. So there is, I think, more runway for Disney. $20 a month for Disney Plus. Okay. If there's an ad version, maybe I do that because the kids don't necessarily care either. But I think they do have more runway
3: at Disney. That's sort of the the argument that some people within Disney have made, right, is let's not try to target everyone. Let's not copy Netflix. Let's go for fewer but more premium. And so if they have 40 million customers in the U.S. instead of 70, but those people all pay 25 or $30 a month, it's a pretty good deal. I obviously cannot speak to this. I do not have kids. I don't really use Disney Plus that much. And Hulu is a more important component of the Disney bundle for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why we make fun of Hulu and how much it costs. But the reason why Hulu costs that much is because they push you into the bundle. Because Hulu and Disney Plus doesn't cost very much more than what Hulu costs. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, there will be the Hulu. Well, there already is the Hulu ESPN Plus Disney Plus combo. Right. But most I think they're really pushing people into the, the Disney Plus Hulu combo. And ultimately, that will be just be one service. And if Hulu and Disney Plus, if there was a greater discrepancy, more people
3: would, at least more adults without kids would just pay for Hulu.
1: Right. And that all this all presumes that these tech companies are going to be good at selling advertising. What do you make of the Netflix shakeup where they fired the head of advertising, Jeremy Gorman, after about a year? She was there, what, a year? Yeah. And uh, put in a new head of ads. Uh, That was a big hire because they got her from Snap and it was like, oh, they're serious about ads. And then a year later, oh, she's out. I mean, Netflix does this a lot. They binge and purge executives uh, just like their customers binge and purge content. So what do you make of that? They took the two top ad sales folks at Snap, Jeremy Gorman and
3: Peter Naylor. Jeremy Gorman had previously been at Amazon where she Mm. helped build that into one of the biggest ad businesses in the world. Peter had been at Hulu and is one of the main architects of the first big streaming ad business. I was pretty floored just because, to your point, they'd made a big song and dance. There have been sort of mixed signals as to how the the Netflix ad initiative is going. I think some people say it's early and it's fine. And other folks say that they've really under-delivered so far. Well, they still have the Microsoft relationship. Isn't Microsoft helping them with ads? Microsoft is helping them both with the tech and sales and paid a rather substantial guarantee, which means that even if it's not going that well, Netflix is still getting paid a bunch of money. I think you, there's a degree to which you're right that Netflix just churns and burns through executives. And if someone's not a right fit, or if after a year, they realize this, they want a different strategy, there's no they have no compunction about just immediately changing course. But it's not a great sign if you bring in a highly touted advertising executive to run your business and they leave after a year?
1: No. um, Who knows what was going on behind the scenes, but it does raise the question of whether the push to sign up more people on these tiers is ultimately going to be the financial answer because you still got to sell them ads. And traditional media companies are very good at selling people ads. And it's unclear yet whether the digital natives are going to be good at that. I have plenty of confidence in Amazon to sell ads
3: because they already do sell a lot of ads.
1: Yeah, amazons I don't think is the issue. Amazon has a huge ad business.
3: Yeah, all the traditional media players, the Disneys, the Paramounts, the Peacocks should not have a hard time. Their issue is with a lot of these businesses, it's can they get to the scale that they need to generate meaningful revenue. Because if you only have 5, 10 million customers, that's just not that meaningful. But can you get to 20, 30, 40 million people? That's where Hulu has a pretty significant advantage on a lot of these people. And we'll see if Netflix can do it. Netflix obviously has the scale around the world, but they need to convince enough new people to sign up for the service or enough existing ones to trade down.
1: All right, so make a prediction. Five years from now, what is the percentage breakdown of Netflix subscribers that are no ads and ads? I would say maybe 20, maybe 20. I'm going to say 30 because I think they're going to hike prices significantly between now and then. So we'll, we'll be looking at a $20 no ad tier and a $8, 9 $10 ad tier. And that's a pretty obvious choice for a lot of people, especially young people.
3: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that right now, the ad tier accounts, I think, for like 20-ish percent of
1: new signups. But that's of new signups. And that's before a lot of these other services have kicked in their price increases. Because it's all one ecosystem. If you're looking at your bill and Disney Plus is up, and Paramount Plus and all the others that you may flirt with or sign up for, it impacts your willingness to keep paying for Netflix too. Or at least I would think. Maybe Netflix is in its own category as a utility. And, you know, because we've talked about building out the perfect streaming service uh, menu. I mean, what do most people pay for pay TV? What is it? $80 is like the average? Something like that, yeah. So like, if you're building up your roster of services, you kind of still start with Netflix. Yeah, I think it's the base service for a lot of people. And then that, then the question becomes whether you pay for premium or you pay for ads. And then to
3: your point, if you're a parent with kids, Disney Plus is, I, if not the foundation, it's the next one that you need. And then you probably have Amazon because you buy a bunch of stuff online. Yeah. And then
1: after that, it gets messy. If you're an adult in this world, unlike Craig, who has not signed up for Prime yet. I mean, I don't know why I have Prime. I don't buy a lot on Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah. Dude,
3: have a kid. I'm it sure. Will. I'm just saying I don't. I have it because I feel like you're supposed to have it, but I don't do I I'm still a twentieth century creature. I like going
1: to the store to buy things. Yeah, that will end. That (laughs) will end very quickly. Um the the thing with Netflix is if the ad experience is a good one, I think that will make a difference as well.
0: There really is like a like a streaming food, like, you know, like the food pyramid and it's like the top is like your essential, like fruits and vegetables. I feel like there is a streaming food pyramid where it's like Netflix is at the top. And then like the next tier is like maybe Disney and one other. And then at the very bottom, it's like Apple. And yeah,
1: I would argue it's the, it's the opposite that Netflix is the bottom of the pyramid because it's what most people use as their base nutrition.
0: Oh, I don't, I don't know how the pyramid works. Is the bottom the most essential part of the yeah, top? Yeah, the
1: bottom is what you're supposed to be consuming the most of.
0: Oh, okay. Then the bottom is Netflix. And then the next tier is like Disney, Amazon. The next yeah. tier is like
1: Hulu. And like and-
0: the, the the top of the pyramid
1: is like the Apple TV Plus. Yes. That it's, like yes. you don't need, but like you subscribe to if you happen to be a glutton for punishment and you want to watch the morning show.
0: Somebody should make that chart. That would be good. Tweet us your chart. All right, we're
1: back with the call sheet. We asked Lucas to stay for this segment because we are shamelessly promoting the fact that we are doing a live edition of The Town, our first ever live edition of The Town at Lucas's bar mitzvah slash media <laughs> conference that is happening on Thursday of this week in uh, Hollywood. Where is this thing? It's at a venue called
3: Naya Studios. It's an event based on Koanga. We got the CEOs of Netflix and YouTube. We got Ari Emanuel. We got Bill Simmons, who's Craig's boss and maybe your boss. I don't know how this all works. No, although he
1: could he could destroy me with a snap of the fingers. But yeah, no, he's not my boss. <laughs> Most important, you have a live edition of The Town. So uh, and we will post that next week. Craig, we'll po- is that right? We're posting that on Monday as our normal Monday edition.
0: Yeah, we'll see how it goes. If <laughs> like Vegas, good show. Or it will be we'll thrown throw into under. a vault
1: and never seen again.
0: It'll be like <laughs> the OJ
1: pilot
3: on NBC. We are at <laughs> capacity, but if you, if you feel that you need to be there,
1: you can always text me. Okay. Lucas, have you been to the Sphere in Vegas? Alas, I have not. I need to check it out, but I haven't yet. And Craig hates Vegas, so I know he hasn't been. I don't hate Vegas. <laughs> You're okay. on record not liking Vegas. Right? I, don't, I don't like Vegas. Okay. Well, you I guys- mean, I don't love Vegas. You know, I think it's a Gen Z, Millennial thing. You guys don't love Vegas like Gen X people like Vegas. I think it's there's been a turn. I mean, this is because separate. we have
0: cell phones now, and it's not fun anymore. It's,
1: exactly. You don't have that fondness. You don't. My generation, like we like Vegas, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Sphere. And uh, I was not cool enough to get on the VIP list for the opening of the Sphere, uh, probably because I called Jim Dolan a cable television nepo baby. The uh, spearheader of the Sphere is Jim. Dolan, New York sports villain and the CEO of Madison Square Garden and a bunch of other businesses. He is the proprietor of the Sphere, spent $2.3 billion to open this thing. Uh, He's got a lot of other partners as well. And they had a big opening a couple weeks ago. Looks pretty cool. I am very excited to see it because
3: all of the buzz around this thing for the longest time was negative. Jim Dolan had sunk billions of dollars into this vanity project that nobody really understood. It claimed to have technology that was going to change the live experience. Nobody really got what that meant. So all the visuals that were shared on social that opening weekend looked very cool. The one thing that did strike me as a little odd is that you're paying all this money to go see a live show of a band and you're not looking at the band.
0: That's why I think it only works for a certain kind of band, right? Like older bands, U2, less mobile bands, like a pop star who likes to run around a stage and make a show of themselves, less mobile. Taylor Swift, Beyonce. <laughs> you mean old. You mean
1: old bands. You mean the Eagles and yeah. U2. Yes. Less mobile. Okay, my prediction today is I think you guys are both wrong. I think the sphere is going to be a massive global phenomenon, and it's going to change the concert business. I think that this is a new experience. People are going to flock to this. Are they going to be able to sell out 18,000 seats every night for all acts? Maybe not. But the beauty here, and because you know, the plan is to build multiple spheres. So if you are a band like U2, and let's say in 5, 10 years, there are seven, eight, nine spheres around the world, you can create a live interactive show like they have for the Vegas experience. And then you play a month in Vegas. You play a month in Doha. You play a month in Singapore. You go all over the world, and you essentially have a world tour of residencies, and your fans come to you. Are you a bigger believer in the sphere or in the ABBA live hologram show? First of all, I can be a believer in both, but these are not mutually exclusive because the sphere is for real live performing acts, which I think there will always be a market for. We're seeing it right now at the concert economy just going Crazy right now. And people want this stuff and it's new and interesting. It's got all the buzz right now. And that is a good thing for it.
3: It now needs to convert that into a steady lineup of acts that want to go play there and want to conceive the visuals. Now, my sense from talking to people is the demand for it has been very high. You open things with U2, a lot of people have respect for them. They could have a full schedule mapped out between now and the end of next year, but their next thing after U2
1: is a movie. Well, no, they're already doing that. They're, they're doing the Darren Aronofsky movie is playing in the sphere right now Uh, and the reviews have been pretty good. How much are the tickets?
0: The sphere seems like it's for rich boomers. Yeah.
1: How dare you? I am not a rich boomer and I am into this. Uh, yeah, the Darren Aronofsky movie is, uh, according to ticketmaster.com, $90. So are you paying $90 to go see a really,
3: really good IMAX movie?
1: I don't know. Listen, in Vegas, money doesn't matter. Like, Maybe it's thirty
0: dollars per hour for Oppenheimer. <laughs>
1: I would pay that much to see Oppenheimer in that. In that I mean, I wonder if they'll play regular movies eventually. Uh, but listen, they also have another revenue stream here. I mean, the ad rates for the Sphere are astronomical. There was one report that said they're getting six hundred and fifty grand per week for advertisers on the Sphere. I mean, we've all seen those creepy like eyeballs and emoji faces that they've done. Uh, but it's a pretty effective advertising venue as well. We should do a live taping of the town inside the Sphere. Now your next Bloomberg event can be yeah. in the Sphere. <laughs> Bloomberg, Bloomberg screen time coming from <laughs> the Sphere. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank Bruce Craig Horbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. We will see you later this
2: week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm.